0: Stage, stage, stage door Johnny, not a lot of rhymes with Johnny, but here it is, stage door
1: Johnny. Hello, welcome back, or welcome to, the second part of my chat with Damien Lewis. Oh, this was so fun, it just got sort of better and better, I really feel like it did. And I'm so grateful to Damien for sharing all sorts of insights and memories with me about his life in the theatre, about how the actor's nightmare really happened to him live on stage at an impressionable age, the little guy, Um, about acting with John Goodman and Tom Sturridge in David Mamet's modern classic American Buffalo, his time at the Guildhall School of Music and Wallpaper, and why uh, he was moved to call it that in reaction to me talking about the training of his wife, Helen. And this is what I'm most grateful to Damien for, for sharing with me some of his reminiscences, some of his memories, some of his feelings about meeting, acting with, falling in love with, and watching from the audience or from the stage, his late wife, Helen McCrory, the great Helen McCrory. She was obviously a revered person, but she was one of our greatest stage actresses. And to hear him talk about her and how electric it always was when Helen was on stage was a huge privilege. And I really, I really thank him for it. But before we get into all that, let's take Damien back to his formative days on stage, which it turns out were scene-stealing in... All the wrong ways. So you were you were a family that went to the theatre. You were a member of Hampstead Theatre Junior Membership. So yeah, you saw lots of plays. Yeah.
2: When do you remember being first on stage? Probably uninterestingly the Nativity play. You know, all the way back when. But, but no, that's why is that uninteresting? Because that's sort of where everyone has their first thing. Well, you, you know. Uh, I must tell an anecdote about my brother who was playing Joseph. And he had supposed to come on with Mary, <laughs> got Mary, meet the innkeeper, and he was supposed to say, "Look, um, I don't care for myself, but my wife is tired and needs a rest." They're pregnant, and he <laughs> exactly <laughs> may not be immediately obvious, but <laughs> and uh, no, and he stood on stage at the age of seven or whatever he is. Look, I don't care about my wife, but I'm tired and I need a rest. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Got it completely the wrong way around. Massive laugh. Absolutely. Much priceless. better line.
2: Oh, it's a bet it's priceless. No That's one brilliant. ever
1: thinks about uh, Joseph's
2: uh, like, I'm knackered. Yeah, I'm knackered. Pirates of Penzance, I'll just say simply because I, I was at a, I was a, uh, uh, you know, a country boarding prep school uh, for, you know, young privileged kids and slightly eccentrically Our school, every summer, would put on a Gilbert and Sullivan Mm. musical. And the very first one I was in was as an eight-year-old, as a policeman in Pirates of Penzance*. Fantastic. How did it feel? Do you remember? Too young to know at that point. By the age of 12... I absolutely knew how it felt, and I would, won the acting prize for giving my bottom oh. uh, to, uh, <laughs> no, no, I won't continue with that, just uh, uh, <laughs> my, my, my bottom in uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. And then I think quite sort of famously in, in school folklore, standing on stage playing, I think his name was Alexis, and I was young to be given the lead role in a play, was mm. still two years from the top of the school, yeah. in The Sorcerer. I think it was. Who's that by? Or Princess Ida. Gilbert and, oh, and still Gil- Gilbert we're still and Sutton. I'm now just from dis- not remembering all the plays. No, it wasn't The Sorcerer, because I played Sir Roderick Murgatroyd but, in the sort of fantastic. When the Night Wind Howls in the Chimney Cows and the Bat in the Moonlight Flies. goes on like that. It's a very <laughs> funny operetta. You must Or 12 year olds all just singing operetta. It's the weirdest, <laughs> most eccentric thing that for that us to be doing. amazing. But and Princess Ida, I think it was, I played Lexis, And this will be a common nightmare that you will have had. And every actor will have had. But it happened to me in real life. I stood on stage for the third act of this play as the main part in front of the entire school for the dress rehearsal and realized that I had failed to learn an entire act of the play. I oh, know. I just had sort of been away with the fairies and... Mr. and Mrs. Woodgates, who were these two fantastic music teachers, gone through the songs with me and this, that, and the other. But it sort of, no one had sort of paid attention to the fact I obviously didn't really know the third act. Wow. And we got to the full dress rehearsal in front of the entire school. And I had the ignominy, the, the humiliation of standing there while Mrs. Woodgates from the piano by the side of the stage sang. And read my part for every time I was on stage, pretty much all of it, as I sort of flapped open mouth like just (laughs) a recently beached trout, (laughs) like the sort of and
1: honestly, the lip sync challenge. Oh,
2: it was, but and it was amazing that I could have got myself in that position. And the headmaster walked into the. to the school dining room and made an announcement to the school. Said in the history of the school, that was the worst dress rehearsal we have ever seen. <laughs> and and I still became an actor.
1: Yes, this is the extraordinary thing. That's it. For doc paging Dr. Freud. Yeah. Did you manage to learn any of it by the time you did the show? Frantically,
2: frantically for the yeah. yeah, just all day. I just wow. I was I was allowed to skip lessons. So you've just got to go and learn your part.
1: How much of a part does fear play now? Because that's a traumatic event for a young kid, right? It to was have that sense Of, of yeah. course, it is. It really to was. have that sense of being publicly. I mean, as you say, it, it's an ac- living <laughs> actor's nightmare happening yeah. on stage. Yeah. So, do you get recurrences of that? How badly do you suffer with nerves when you do a play? I do get nervous. Yeah, yeah. I do get nervous, and um, but not excessively. So, not like mm, I've got no, to call up and call up in the fetal position and start singing Gilbert and Sullivan. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> I go, where's Sir Roger Murgatroyd when you need him? <laughs> um, Helen used to vomit before she went on stage. She? she just needed to do it. And it made her feel better as soon as she'd done it. Wow. As soon as she'd done it. But she did often vomit. Sounds very unhealthy, doesn't it?
1: No, Olivia, uh, apparently the same thing.
2: Yeah. I never want to vomit. Quite a few visits to the loo. Yes, yes. yes yeah, I will say that for the other end. Sure. And yeah. And definitely enough needing to talk myself down off the ledge. Right. I think as you walk into the wings, lots of breathing exercise, just right. just get down into your feet, get your feet down into the earth, get the weight of your body down, stop this high breathing because yeah. you're about to pass out just it's know. like trying to remember yourself
1: isn't it yeah it's just getting back in your body you're a human being yeah. <laughs> and not just a bag of nerve endings yeah sort of walking around do you feel it oh god appallingly so appallingly
2: so and you make the mistake which i have sometimes but gave it up thank god because it's a it was a, it was a habit i got into which is just going through the first few lines in yeah, your head yeah. before you go on which of course this might be interesting for anyone listening to this podcast who's interested in you know just acting and I don't know, arts generally. But, you know, the general thesis is that, you know, acting isn't just about learning lines parrot fashion, like learning French vocab. You have to learn the thought behind the lines. So you've got to know why you're going on stage. And as soon as you've just got all your circumstances lined up around you and, and sort of you're like your duvet. So why am I here? Where am I going? When is this? Who am I? You know, and Stanislavski famously, they were his given circumstances. And that was sort of the basis for which anyone should walk on stage. You should have those four basic facts. And that, of course, is the only way, to, it's the best way to go on stage. Yeah. So you go on immersed in the alternative reality that you're all invested in this play. Knowing who you are, knowing why you go on stage, and then the lines will come. Yeah, and they not all how out. I'm going
1: to say the first three lines.
2: No. Or that I'm even just going to remember them. Right. And just trusting you do know the lines. You have run through this play four times in the rehearsal room, once through the tech rehearsal, twice in a dress rehearsal, and now you're here in front of an audience. You do know it. <laughs> but as you say, the nerves play such games totally. with your head. Totally. But I think in a weird way- You're Like a crash test dummy, aren't you? Something yeah, going on. yeah. Well, that's exactly right. The, the,
1: the car crash of the press night. As you say, I, about nerves, I feel a bit brutalized by it now. Meaning, you know, I, I don't want to compare myself to a war correspondent or something. But if you no, live yeah. not enough of your life in yeah. that hyper-adrenalized state, I think it does do something to your body chemistry long-term. And I think it certainly with me- it's made me quite addicted to rarefied events. Meaning when feeling is high. Yes. Weddings, yes. for example. Yes. I am weddings full. Yeah. I yeah. just find them. I don't care who's getting married. Yeah. I don't care if they're doomed, the bride and groom. Yes. I don't care if they're not going to make it through the week. I find the the, uh, the, the, the ceremony that is is like... A spike in the graph of anybody's normal human feeling day to day. Yeah. Yeah. Just where everybody is acknowledging this extraordinary event in people's lives. I can't get enough of that shit.
2: And I think that is something. Balling your with. eyes out on the back pew, totally and then my eyes out. More drunk up. than everyone else at one a.m.
1: Don't, da-
2: on the dance floor.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Tie
2: around your head. Don't get me started on funerals. <laughs>
1: it's like it's like the end. Of, it's like the end of wedding crashes. Will Ferrell says the really hard action is at funerals these days. <laughs> anyway, listen. Let's go back. I really want to, really, really want to talk about the late, great Helen, your wife. You were at. After school, uh, you really did lots of acclaimed Gilbert and Sullivan. You <laughs> yes. went to Guildhall, right? Yes. You went to Guildhall to train, and I'd love to know how that was. But I'm also very curious about the parallel training that Helen was having. You hadn't met each other yet. You didn't meet doing a play, right? You met yeah, at yeah, play at we the met, Almeida. yeah. We met at the Almeida. Yeah. So Helen trained. At a place called the Drama Centre. Yeah. You trained at the illustrious Guildhall. Yeah. And incredible though it is to believe, I'm a little older than you. Yeah. And but still, roughly, you know, we when we were growing up, the I've Drama Centre. Never Center, thought it. Never thought it. Obviously, it would be impossible if this were visual as well. You would you wouldn't credit it, but. When we were growing up, the drama center was famous, right? Yeah. For producing this very, had this very particular way of training actors. And it was famous for producing very, very intense, emotionally sort of uncompromising actors who came yeah. out of that. It yeah. was, it was a, quite a brutal training. And I think actors were taught to be, I'm, I'm going to sort of oversimplify, but were taught to be quite brutal with themselves in terms of how honest they were allowed to be in their their work. Now, when you were together with Helen, was there ever a point of difference between you? Did she ever give you shit about your training at Guildhall and her training at Drama Centre? Was that ever something that the two of you talked about? Well,
2: there's <laughs> the Guildhall School of Music and Wallpapering, exactly, yes. exactly. <laughs> well, no, uh, but it was oh, what a what an easy ride, just coasted <laughs> through. Uh. Well, I would say every drama school, I think the Guildhall did it too. Tried to deconstruct the individual and build them back up again. Right. So let's deconstruct you. Did let's, you have that? Yeah. Let's have a good look at all your faults. Right. Uh, and then you know, let's 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 get rid of those, or let's not get rid of them. Let's acknowledge them so you can act with. Total honesty, knowing who you are. We did all sorts of silly things. Actually, we did an exercise which was uh, in the end was banned because it was thought to be not emotionally healthy for everyone, which yeah. was something called the coffin exercise. We were supposed to go up and peer into a coffin and imagine someone you love deeply in a coffin in front of the rest of the class. Yes. And then, so it was an exercise in... A sort of accessibility, emotional accessibility. Into If you want to cry, break down, weep, do it. Right. And do it in front of the class. It's not, of course, in the end, the school took issue with it. It's not really about acting. Right. It's about emotional recall, which is another Stanislavskian technique. Um, which is one I have never used because it takes you out of the play, right. which is, you know, when you come to an emotional part of the story, you recall something from your own life that right. gave you great pain. Maybe your parrot dropped down dead one day when you were six. But, you know, am I going to stand on stage and recall Helen dying when I'm in the middle of a play? It's not, no, it's not feasible. That won't happen. Right. But that's, that's what some people think is a good way to go. Right. I don't. I right. like to remain in the, in the world of the play. So. At the drama centre, as, as you rightly say, there was, there was much more of a method that they followed. One they developed themselves. And one I think that was, I think it was brutal. I think they were very brutal with their, <laughs> with their students. Right. Um, I think, talk, talking about Helen in particular, I think she quite liked that. Right. I think she loved being a pupil. Hmm. In a system that she believed in, and they could be as hard with her as they wanted. You know, she failed to get into the drama centre, first time round. Yes, really. Was told, you know, she gave Juliet in a, a audition, and I think it was Yat or Christopher Fetti, who were the two men that ran it for many, many years. Famously, she said, "What on earth do you know about falling in love? Have you ever been in love?" She went, "No." She's seventeen. He said, well, why on earth are you standing here and giving us your Juliet?
1: The go. implication being that you have to know about these things. There you go. Which you which is a
2: little insight into their yeah, right. method, which right. was pro- probably right. what, you know. Right. But I think, you know, you'll know this as an actor as well. I, th- I do think we deepen and become more interesting as actors yeah. because we, I think we do as people. Yeah. So, you know, one informs the other, doesn't it?
1: Tell me about meeting her. On Five Gold Rings. Tell me about that experience at the Almeida, directed by Michael Attenborough.
2: Yeah, we were in a play, David Calder, Will Keane, Indra Varma, fabulous cast, on a play that we were all struggling with a bit, needed a bit of work, but that work wasn't being done. When it was a new play, and it could have been done in the rehearsals during the rehearsal period. Yeah, we just we just uh we we sparred a lot <laughs> with our uh, in 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 our humor uh, we we met each other there mm. and uh that was helen was very very funny and uh could be caustic and withering and uh, imperious but always always with a glint of mischief in eye, letting you know that it's actually okay. But if you can't stand the heat in the kitchen, get out. If you want to stay, stay, because it'll be fun. So, uh, and it was. And uh, and yeah, and that's, that's really, that's how we started. Yeah. Was the the, the adversity of the play
1: bonding? Meaning it was tough to do. And, you know, is there something, the way in which you feel a bit under siege? So people sort of, I don't know, I often find that actors switch into a kind of emergency mode if a play is going badly, and that can often forge intense bonds between people. And also, this is probably not a very politically correct thing to say now, but talent is... The Johnny Cake Podcast is the place to say it. Christ knows. <laughs> we say the unsayable. Uh, uh, uh. Stage Door Johnny is, is uh, not afraid of the taboos. No, talent is sexy, right? Right, you yes. must have found it, Helen was. The, I mean, I think, you know. Of course, I'm not the first or the last person to say this. Was one of the greatest actors of her generation. I mean, you know, yeah, she it was. was so, yeah. It, it was. It was. It must have been an enormously
2: exciting thing. Yeah, we were someone. playing lovers. I mean, it's a bit of a cliche, you know. We were. Sure. We were playing lovers too, and and. Yeah, we got together. Yeah, you know, rehearsing a play. <laughs> got it. There's, there's no. There, there you're right. There, there are a few more intense experiences than being involved in an in a. Well, again, you don't have to be careful because, of course, you've mentioned more correspondence now, which is, you know, which has made my rehearsing a play suddenly not the most intense <laughs> and dangerous experience a human being can experience it. whereas I, think, I was going on to say that it was and uh, I think we can
1: take as a given but, yeah. that this is quite low down the, the list of
2: perilous Probably, jobs but but in terms that 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 you know it's it's the way in which artists in whatever medium when they're sharing an endeavor putting something together There's something very open about it, very vulnerable. That is what being an artist is about. Sure. It's it's about being honest and being sometimes, you know, the conduit for people in their lives who don't have access to that honesty all the time or don't have that emotional access all the time because their lives preclude it, you know, or they're not naturally set up that way, which is why they haven't chosen to become an artist or a musician or an actor. So... Oh, God, I was about to go on sort of notions of providing a service and things like that. It sounds a bit self-important. Yes, don't do that. But they do. We do, actually. And it's all right to feel that. Oh, totally. because, but anyway, and, and I'll just, just to finish what you're saying. So my answers are all really long. I'm sorry. But you know well, you know well how many productions we've been in where either the play's not quite good enough or the director's not quite good enough or just loses confidence or just loses their way. And God, it must be hard being a director because you are one person against a cast of 15 right. or whatever it is. I say against, sounds adversarial, but it must feel like that sometimes sure, for a director. Yeah. And you know how many times you've collectively as a group of actors have had to essentially get the play on yeah. and make it work. Yeah. It just, you know... And in the old days, of course, there was no director. That's what actors did. Yes. It's our default nature. How many jobs have I just taught myself out of (laughs) with talented, (laughs) well-known directors that I'd like to work with? I think think you've only made every single director who might
1: possibly be listening to this go, I'm going to be the one. that He will uh, not. He'll he'll, he'll, he'll trust
2: me. uh, You know, it's interesting. And of course, when you do get a good director, quick sort of director up, when you do get a good director, you think, oh, that's, that's what it should be. Yeah, just a, this great collaboration between a guy or woman who is smart and insightful yeah. and then just tweaks you along, tweaks you along to something which is perfectly formed. Yeah.
1: These are, you know, alchemical things, aren't they? They're sort of, they are quite literally like joining different chemicals together. You've got the chemical compound of the play, you've got the chemical compound of the people doing the play the space it's in you know it's not a given that that these chemical compounds mix and make uh, some kind of lovely chemical compound of all the elements put together you know often more often than not as we already started out by saying it doesn't work and that is you know that is entirely mathematically understandable when it does as we've already said, it's this sort of extraordinary feeling when you're making it as well as when you're watching it or when you're performing in it.
0: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices
1: So I wanted to ask you about Hamlet. You've already talked a little bit about it. Yeah. Brilliantly. Laertes you played Laertes, Jonathan Kent's famous production with Rafe, yeah. as we've already said, yeah. playing Hamlet, which was at the Almeida, and then it went to uh,
2: well, it was Hackney. Em- it was an Almeida uh, production It oh, started right. at Hackney
1: Empire. Yes, that's right. Which was great. But it must have been amazing.
2: Well it was fantastic just being in a in a in a theatre with a different demographic yeah. coming to watch yeah. yeah There's the smell of weed wafting down <laughs> the stage by the fifth act <laughs> it's a bit lit, it's lit. Yes, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating no that's different and just you know and the noise and the yeah. just you know
1: that's different than the tang of dentures
2: that you normally
1: <laughs> yeah. normally get wafting at yes. towards the end of the yeah, third act you
2: know, for the wine of the hearing aid
1: <laughs> <laughs> Laertes is a great part actually I think a fantastic uh, part uh, he's got some he's got some great moments you know but Laertes often understudies
2: Hamlet. Did you understudy Hamlet? No. But cue my next theatrical anecdote. Oh, fantastic!
1: <laughs> it's like a jukebox.
2: I had played Hamlet himself, oh, the Dane himself. Did you? You were talking about playing Coriolanus at oh. the Delacorte. I played Hamlet in Regent's Park. Did you? Yeah, in our Delacorte when I was when I was a youngster, God, I when I was that. only twenty-four, and I was put on the stage by Tim Pickett smith Mm. uh, Lovely Tim, who is directing it. it, on a blustery January, February day, leaves sort of scuttling across the stage, the whole auditorium covered in tarpaulin. And Tim just went, right, go. Oh, what a rogue and peasant slave am I. I stood on the stage with the wind howling across, really quite sort of elemental, rather sort of amazing. Now I look back oh. at it. And Tim jumping around like a little leprechaun. All over the auditorium, scuttling up the stairs and running to the back. Oh what a rogue and peasant slave am I? Is it not monstrous that this player here, but in a f- fiction in a dream of passion, could so console his own conceit to I think I've run out of juice <laughs> to and 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 Tim just running all over the auditorium like you And uh I think it auditioned a lot of sort of young, up-and-coming, thrusting up and coming young actors. I'm you were probably auditioned. And uh anyway, he called me a two weeks later and said, Darling, I've got no fucking idea if you can play this part, but you're the only one I could hear. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, That's great. and so I got cast as Hamlet. And <laughs> I had just been at the Almeida, actually, for my first ever job in London, doing L'école des femmes, Molière, School oh, for yeah. Wives, with Ian and Emma Fielding, mm. lovely cast of people. And mm. Jonathan had directed that. I then went and played Hamlet. Jonathan then came to me and he said, Darling, we're going to Broadway. Um we're going to start Hack the Empire, and Rafe's going to play Hamlet and I want you to play Laertes. And I said, Jonathan, I couldn't possibly come and play Laertes. I'm I've just played the Dane. He went, darling, I understand, I just thought I'd ask. Went home expecting my phone to ring off the hook from, after my era defining sure. interpretation of the Dane right. at the age of 24 in right. the open air. Right. <laughs> right. To resounding silence for about three months, not a call. I just said, Oh. maybe i'll never work again Uh, maybe it was career ending right and i called jonathan i said i don't suppose laertes is still available (laughs) that bus hasn't left and he went darling i knew you'd call (laughs) (laughs) of course it is and i have to say it was the best decision i ever made i found it very difficult playing laertes having played hamlet and you asked me if i understudied hamlet of course that would have been sensible having just played it sure but we're rehearsing Right around the corner from where I live here in St. George's Chapel, when it was uh, owned by a, a wonderful man who had turned the whole chapel into a wooden O, into a Shakespearean stage, galleried stage inside, really quite amazing, a sort of tabernacle-shaped church. It's now owned by the Nigerian House of Rock Church. But in the time, it was a thing. Th- anyway, we were rehearsing in it. So we're down in the grave. Laertes has come back from Paris. He's furious. His sister's dead. He's launching at Hamlet. So you've killed my sister. Hamlet's saying, calm the- down, Laertes. You always were a hothead. And Jonathan says, okay, let's take it from the top of that scene and go. And I launched. Into Hamlet's lines.
1: Oh my goodness.
2: Like a sort of, <laughs> like a sort of, the Pavlovian, yes. just like a dog.
1: Like a leading actor.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and the, this terrible hush came over the entire rehearsal room. And so I went, oh, oh my God. He's just, I said all of Rafe's lines. That's and fantastic. I went on for a line for a oh God. Oh God! Oh God! I'm so <laughs> I'm not. And, and Le- <laughs> Rafe just sort of grabbed me by the lapels, and, went, you've already played the part. <laughs> I and I don't blush very easily, which is unusual for a redhead. But I went puce crimson. Yeah, that's very sweet. Do you what do you remember the play apart from apart
1: from the extraordinary, the first time you're on apart from the extraordinary sword fight, the first time you're on Broadway. And listening to him do that every night, interesting, after you just played it. So you must have spent well, – there's no job in between you playing it in the park and – No, uh, I think I went Hattie straight Empire. on. Yeah, I think it I was a two on. years or whatever it was of Hamlet, listening to that on the Tannoy well, finished every night. in
2: September and then we – yeah, it was pretty much, I think, direct, Would you like yeah. to play him again? Oh, God, yeah, but I – you know, I – but I couldn't. I think you do get too old. Ian McKellen, darling. Quite. <laughs> no, I watch Ian do anything. He's he's brilliant. You think you think it's good? Yeah, it's play, gone? I could play. I would like to play Hamlet again, but you, you know, because obviously you'd play it differently. Sure, play it differently yeah. at fifty than you did at twenty-five. Completely. You hope. Yeah. The, the thing about playing parts, did you feel proprietorial about Coriolanus? Well, I'd played him at the Globe when I was thirty.
1: Four and already felt s- slightly too old. You know, Coriolanus, for anybody who doesn't know, is the great war machine of all yeah, Corey, yeah. Uh, of all Shakespeare's great warriors. I mean, he takes and conquers a whole city on his own, like a yes. sort of superhero.
2: So you have to be... It, and it, you it, must it, risk being unlikable in that first half.
1: Of course. I mean, it's an extraordinary play, I think. I, I already felt a little bit too old at 34. By the time I played it again in new york i was what is it 2019 uh, so what's that 3 years Just ago know, i was yeah. 52 yeah. and i was and it was new york during a hot manhattan summer yeah And they put me in this sort of skin-tight neoprene costumes that were almost more exhausting to get on and off when they were drenched with, you know, New York-induced sweat than the play itself. The Delacorte, as you know, is massive. So you're sprinting to... I was only ever one thrust or parry away from, you know, (laughs) uh, the emergency (laughs) room at any any (laughs) one moment. (laughs) But here's the extraordinary thing about live theatre. It has this unbelievable time machine in it, doesn't it? This sense that when you go on stage, particularly in a big auditorium, of course, which is a bit more forgiving than somewhere like the Donmar, where you're talking about a smaller house, but a big auditorium, if you have that inner conviction, that inner feeling that you are this youthful embodiment of male athleticism, somehow you can project that. Yeah, it, it, I really genuinely felt that when I went on stage, and I felt like Coriolanus was an arrested little boy, yeah. who had been sent off to war, as his mother says, to war. I sent him when he was a, and he comes back, he's been shivved something like nine times, and everybody glories in his scars. So this sense of a kid traumatized at a certain age yes. in a grown, middle-aged man's body. Yeah. But this appallingly frozen little boy, really, yeah. was, of course, a sort of timelessly sustaining idea. Yeah. So you could play the thing. You could be given that gift of, by theater of feeling, and I think projecting a sort of more youthful version of yourself. And at the same time, you can also have this mental idea that the poor kid is really no bigger than 16, you know, Mm -hmm. almost my son's age now, Mm -hmm. the idea of him being sent away to war. You know, Shakespeare, the great plays, the great pieces of writing for the stage are sort of, they have this extraordinary elasticity, don't Mm -hmm. they? They're very, very generous to people of all ages to be able to bring what you have at a particular time of life to bear on them. And that's why I think I'd love yeah. to see your Hamlet now. What about other things? What about other... Are there any other parts? I mean, you're young enough, yet yeah, for, for all these things. But are there great parts on stage that haunt you? Absences that haunt you? Anything that you want to do? Anything that you wish you'd already done?
2: Hmm. It's an odd thing, isn't it, theatre, in terms of its tradition and its heritage? Because... There is a desire, isn't there, to play the great roles and put yourself on a list of the great actors who played the great roles. That's a vanity, of course. Of course. On one level, on the other level, it's just who doesn't want to tackle Coriolanus or Hamlet or whatever it happens to be, because you know you should be so lucky to get the chance because you're working with that writing, as you just pointed out, even time-specific and Location-specific plays like *Coriolanus* are able to be reinterpreted. That, that that Elastis, do you talk about? You know, he's the great magical realist.
1: Yeah,
2: Shakespeare. Yes, yeah, you so can. True. You can just go back to do what you want with them. Yes, you really can. So, it, it would feel obvious for me to say this, but I would love to play *Macbeth*. Sorry, everyone, turn around. And spit. no, we're not in a theatre.
1: It's all good. Sorry. In many
2: ways, my house. <laughs> <laughs> <course>. uh, uh, <laughs> uh, um, I would love to have played Henry V. I think that probably d- is better in a younger man's shoes. Oh, a lot of those Shakespearean roles. I love Ibsen. He's a particular yes, favorite of you mine. You did Pillars of the Community. Yeah, Pillars of the Community. I've done Little Ale. I, I mean, there's, there's
1: a whole host of those. Master Builder, you'd be in.
2: Yeah, I'd love to do the Master Builder. I'd love to... Um, God, I was talking about Brand recently, which yeah. is, you know, difficult. Yeah. Difficult
1: play. It would be amazing but, you know, <laughs> for you to play Borkman, of course, knowing your background, yeah, well, the background in uh, as a hedge fund manager. <laughs> managing, you know, the, the story of John Gabriel Borkman by Ibsen, one of his last plays, is that this man is in charge of all Norway's money
2: yes basically it's
1: just like he yes. has this extraordinary sense of you know it's a, it's a ponzi scheme essentially he's made of who's yeah. taken everybody's money and is about yeah. to do this extraordinary reinvestment in what he imagines is this the untold riches of, of the country's future and he loses everything yeah, it's great. and spends the rest of the play saying just give me give me another chance and i can get it all back Anyway,
2: I just. I did play League of Youth when I was still at uh, drama school, my final year plays. And it was the first review I ever got from a professional reviewer. Michael Billington, bless him, came and gave me a favorable review, which is very nice of him. But League of Youth is is one of those Ibsen plays, a bit like Pillars of the Community, you know, lesser known, less good, but still so much in them I don't even know that play well there's absolutely no reason you should but it's a similar thing he's a local he's a local thrusting politician stroke businessman who is conflicted in everything he does you know same thing
1: let's not talk about absences because you've got so much time should you have the inclination to play all these parts and this is another extraordinary thing isn't it about why I think we love the theatre there's 2,000 years worth of really good out there to do you know it's been a long time accumulating a back catalogue and as you say particularly in the british theatrical tradition you often find yourself you know taking on the ghosts of people who've played those great parts before but that doesn't stop them being some of the greatest things ever written some of the greatest experiences experiences an actor could possibly have to play let's talk about let's talk about one last play before i let you go that you did that I can't that I'd love to hear about. American Buffalo. Yes. How did that come about? How was it to do? And did it feel different? Did Mammoth feel different from other theatrical experiences you'd heard? Came
2: about I I Matt, by I'm sure. Talking to Matt, by I am sure. And we we got it on and Brilliantly, John and Tom both came on. Daniel Evans directed. Yeah. And we had a very lovely time with it eventually. Okay. And I say that because Mamet writes in such a specific and control yeah. controlled way, controlling way, I oh. might even offer. So every ellipsis, comma, what are the three dots called? You know, inverted commas. There you go. A full stop, a dash, they all mean a bit like a score. Yeah. They all mean different things. They're all, they all have different lengths to them and, and they have slightly different rhythms to them as he perceives it as he's writing. And he, and he talks about this actually because he plays the piano himself. And so he feels that he writes his scripts like scores. So we spent a lot of time observing that very, very strictly which made it very difficult to learn for all of us. Right. What you then find, and I know you'll, you'll know this experience too, is a play, the more you play it becomes more and more the actor's play on stage. You live it every night and you start finding things which become delicious and they become right. They might not always be exactly what the writer wrote or intended you know just in terms of playing around with with rhythms and things like that so i found with the buffalo 98% of the time if you missed the rhythm of what he'd written yeah you missed it and it was palpable shit in the room in the audience right. in the theater wow. so he was unbelievably good at knowing what was going to work right. and there were about 2% of it though where we changed a few things and they were better ah, just right. adopted our own rhythms right. to them but it's like hitting a musical note but it's absolute you do it or you don't kind of, and it didn't that didn't make it that didn't make it feel uh, restrictive or right. in any way sort of right. oppressive right. because as you know when you're in the rhythm and the rhythms working yeah. it's so much fun because you get that you get that flow yeah. you know that you were talking about and the work of the actor for example, if you're doing noises off, rhythm, 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 rhythm. God, it moves quickly. But you've got to work 10 times harder as an actor to remain disciplined about characterization, And so you don't just become a bot up on stage that's hitting beats. So the audience get the pleasure of the rhythm of the piece. Sure. But you can lose all sense, really, of characterization or anything heartfelt or from your belly or in your soul that will make it a transcendent experience for the audience. Like we started talking at the beginning of our chat. So when things are moving that quickly and rhythm becomes so seductive, you've got to work even harder as an actor to retain character. Just remember who it is you are and what your wants and your needs are and what's at stake. Not just the fact you, you gave two beats to a comma when it should have been one. I saw Sam Rockwell
1: do it just recently. I bet, I bet he'd be in, great. In New York. He he was he was fantastic. He was fantastic. He's such an extraordinary part. And I interviewed Bill Macy yeah, for, this, for this podcast. He's of great. course, he was the original. Yeah. No, no, that's not quite right. He was Bobby, first of all. And, the, and, then, and then he played Teach right. at the Donmar. That's right. Much later that's on. That's right. Neil Pepe, that's right. And he was apparently the source for the fucking Ruthie speech the beginning of the play yeah famous if you don't know it starts off Teach comes into this junk shop and just rips this extraordinary monologue yeah just
2: stuck in his head he's furious
1: yeah and apparently this (laughs) happened in real life that Mamet who would often be up all, you heard this story I've read would would be up all night yeah writing or working would we'll come to a coffee shop in the morning Bill would be there with some other actors from Chicago and he st- stole a piece of bacon and he's like he's just talking to them he's just eating off that's right off, off
2: y- Macy's yeah.
1: plate and he uh, Macy says something eventually like you could pull up a seat and I could order you something and he was like what fucking kidding me you won't let me eat a piece of your toast you fucking kidding me yeah 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 and that's left yeah. didn't speak Mammoth to it Macy it did. yeah. left yeah. didn't speak to Macy for like three weeks no one saw him He came back into the same coffee shop Threw the manuscript on the table So have a read of this Which starts with Fucking Ruthie Took my piece of bacon I took a piece of fucking bacon Whatever it is Anyway So that was I enjoyed that story Listen let me um, Let me ask you This is possibly a really Impossible question to ask Answer right, Right When do you think you were best On stage Oh god Best
2: Oh Even
1: when I ask the question, sort of what pops into your mind, do you reject it utterly, or is there something that sort of you think of? It is an impossible question
2: (laughs) to answer. It it just it it, because it 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 assumes it assumes a level of sort of you know self regard, of course, but But also
1: a level of self awareness. I suppose what I really mean is, when did you? We talked about that flow state earlier. When did you have most of that sense? That when you stepped off that cliff every night, you would fly rather than be having to claw the air to stay up.
2: Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, I let me put it this way: after I worked at the Almeida, which was my first job in London, I'd gone, I'd left drama school early to go to Birmingham Rep, and I played Romeo, and I played Brandon in Rope, Patrick Hamilton's oh, yeah. brilliant play. Brilliant. Have you done it? You, no, you play, but I you know. Of course, done. I love the and, movie. Um and then I went down and did Molly, And then, you know, one of you know, the papers sniff around and go, Oh, young theatre actor, let's write a little profile and one to watch type thing. And Jonathan Kent said something very sweet. He just said he said, you know, working with Damian he, he um he's a stage creature. He said something to the effect of he's a stage creature. He loves to be on stage. You can tell He likes being now, God, I have to say, fucking hell, self regarding as you could possibly be. But, but he, um, but there's a point to what I'm saying. Um, he said, Not all actors love going out on stage and being in the theater, they like acting, but that's a qualitative difference to the enjoyment of actually being on the stage in the theater. And he said, He and he's, you know, he said nice things about, you know, this, that, and the other about whatever he's got a sort of charisma when he's out there and he he just seems at home there that's true that is incontestably true i love being out there mm. i feel very comfortable there mm. once you've got over those awful nerves but that flow state that we talk about those three things working simultaneously i love that feeling so i always have a good experience mm. i can't tell you whether it's any good <laughs> <laughs> for the audience, right? I can't. I can't say to you, I feel very confident when yeah. I'm there. You know what it's like when you're in the, in theatre and. Two actors come on stage and you immediately are at ease. Yes, of course, yes. You just go, oh, thank God.
1: (laughs) They're great. They're totally (laughs) amazing. They're going to take care of me. They're going to take care of me. They're
2: totally confident and comfortable with what they're doing. I'm in for a good evening. Even if the play's sub, even the production is sub, I'm going to have a good theatrical experience overall. And you feel that overall. That's who you are. Yeah. I feel I'm somebody who can come on stage and I can make the audience feel comfortable that I'm there and I always feel it and that is that's a huge bonus. Yeah. Yeah, of just to, to i i i feel I like this is that. your house no yes exactly now whether it's for the audience to decide whether what then happens is as any good n- yes any good <laughs> nuanced or subtle uh, right, right or right, right, insightful right, right. or you know in, or odd or quirky right, in any right, way right, right. in the way that the person who's come on and has really struggled with being on stage and doesn't feel comfortable there, but just gives you this extraordinary, quirky, odd sure. performance that has the whole audience looking only in one direction, which is <laughs> yes. stage right because that's where they're standing yeah. for the whole thing. Yeah. I've no idea. I don't know. No, I, love I don't. That. I, I love don't that. know. But I know how it makes me.
1: I love that. I love feel. That you Feel like that. That's a wonderful thing for anybody who wants to see you on the theatre, in the theatre, to know about you. When you think of Helen's amazing performances a life in the theatre on the
2: stage. What are the ones that come back to you? Oof. Well, it was funny, when we first met, Helen and I, we knew very little about each other's work. Huh. It was very funny. It wasn't a sort of, uh, um, I, um of course, I knew she was talented and um she knew who I was vaguely, but we, there was no, I hadn't been to see all of Helen's plays like a fan. Right. But, you know, been working and, sure. you know, and distracted and not concentrating on, like you should be on w- where are all the best actors doing all the best work. If I'd taken that view, I'd have probably seen a lot more of her plays. I saw her doing way, way back The Seagull when she played uh, with Alan Cox, Coxie playing yeah. Constantine and Judy was re- and Bill Nye. I saw it. That was at the Nash. Um, and that was in her first time round at the Nash when she was taken on by Richard Eyre as a young girl, almost pretty much straight out of drama school, more or less in the early to mid-90s. And she spent five years there just playing all the leads. Trelawney of the Wells. I'd been to see the other Trelawney of the Wells, which was on at the same time with Heli, BC, who was doing it in the West End. So I didn't go and see Helen's. Uh, I didn't see her Blood Wedding, which I think was another one that she was in. White This, Devils, something White Devils, I think. Yes, White Devils, Hugh Bonneville, I think. She said this run at the National. I didn't see any of it, apart from that one. What I had seen her, when we got together, she was always brilliant. She was brilliant in the late middle classes, Simon Gray played. Oh, yeah. At the Donmar, brilliant, funny. She was brilliant in Rosmer's Home. She was brilliant uh, as Rosalind in a difficult production of As You Like It in the West. That's when we first met. Huh. I was shooting a very low budget film in. Morocco with my great pal John Slattery and uh, Tom McCarthy, and just having a lot of fun on a very low-budget film in the desert. Um, and <laughs> flying back to see Helen give her Rosalind, which of course she's born to play. But, you know, and I've spoken about this a lot. I, I suppose I had that chariot of fire moment when the Ben Mendelsohn character is sat in, uh, do I mean Ben Mendelsohn? Ben Cross. Ben Cross, thank you. Ben Mendelsohn, very different concept. Yeah, I would have loved to ben have seen Cross him in Chariot of so is um, sitting in the auditorium and he falls in love with Alice Krieg, who is in a, The Mikado, a Gilbert and Sullivan play. <sighs> and he just has this moment. And I had that moment with Helen and Uncle Vanya in Your Great Pal, Sam Mendes's final two shows at the Donmar. I missed her. Olivia in Twelfth Night, which I'm to this day regretful of, I wonder if I could get a copy of it from them. I wonder if they have it. The theatres aren't always as good at that as you think they are. They don't always have these things. And I've talked, I've written about it. I've talked about it. Other people have written and talked about Mm. it. This entrance that she made, walking across the stage as Yelena, who is bored and destructive Mm. and longing as a character. And... Helen just walked on in slow motion, it seemed like, in this beautiful long dress and walked over to the samovar where the tea was laid out on a silver-silver type thing and just poured herself some tea. And everything she did was like water, liquid, just oil, sensuous, gave herself some tea, some sugar, tapped the spoon gently Mm. on the side of the, stirred it, put it down, took it. And left the stage. The entire, <laughs> the entire thing. It took forever. I remember. As her it so director. Well. or as another actor, you'd be screaming from the side of the stage. Oh, come on, McCrory, get on with it. You're milking this. Appallingly. not a bit of it. Not a bit of it. No, it was. Yeah, the the theatre was just held. Held. In her spell, and I was too. And I was with my dad, and I, and I, and I said, Dad, we're going backstage. We're going to go and say. Well fucking done to Helen. I didn't know her then. I said we, That's need, we need to we need to just go and We need to go and tell her how to, she's brilliant. Wow. Yeah. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. That was a that was a seminal moment in it the theatre for lots of people. It was an extraordinary moment. You remember you you saw it? I do. I saw it yeah. several times. I saw it in
1: in New York as well as seeing it at the Donmar. Yeah. And I, I... remember that she made you feel weather. She made you feel the heat. Of that place yeah, you know, yeah. She just did. by the way she moved yeah, and, and that was one of the you know Sam is brilliant at those moments where time stands still on stage and you see much much more yeah. of a character and a world yeah. through something that is almost tangential to the play yes. it's, not, it's not people talking to each other it's just those moments glimpsed through a doorway or something like
2: well, that well we talked about what happens off stage in a theatre you yeah. as the audience fill it yeah. So what did Helen bring on? Yeah. She brought a world yeah. with her on that stage, in that moment. What's she been doing? Yeah, what's she been doing? What's she been? Where's she, doing? she going now? Yeah, now and now she's just leaving. She's not going to drink that tea. No, you know that's <laughs> that's that is the beauty of one of the beauties no, of theatre. You know that we have been talking about.
1: And here's another extraordinary thing: that even though. It's ephemeral, as we talked about before, even though these things are built not to be reviewed. You know, the last night of the play is like a life. You know, it's gone. It will be remembered by those who remember it or forgotten by those who don't remember it. But the indelible moments of theatre, and your missus provided so many, and that was one of them, don't get forgotten. That's that's an eternal yeah. memory for me. Yeah,
2: and good for us to remember to remember exactly as well.
1: Well, that's right. we can't. As all our memories collapse. As great artists always do, they don't give you any choice. It's imprinted somewhere there. Yeah, but it's imprinted somewhere there. Maybe more indelibly because we know that it's fragile. That it could go yeah. right. That yeah. it can't be. We can't call it up on. Uh, uh, a streaming service to to be reminded of what it was it has to stay between her Helen and us in that moment yeah that's That's a that's a shared shared thing yeah mate I cannot thank you enough this has been so much fun to talk to you it's great
2: thanks for coming around Johnny
1: all right that was Damien thank you so much Damien Lewis for Being so generous with your time and so open and insightful and honest and occasionally amusing. I really loved talking to Damien so much. I could have done it for much, much longer. And I was so grateful to him for reminding me of that imperishable moment in the theatre. I saw that production of Uncle Vanya two or three times in London and New York. And the moment when Helen McCrory first came on stage as Yelena was never less than mesmerizing. She could change the temperature in the room when she walked on stage. And it's what great acting can do. And I was so thrilled to have that little spark of electric memory. It's what happens when we remember great performances. And we always have it in our memory banks. It may fade over time, but they're always somewhere there. And it's one of the... It's one of the very glorious things, I think, about live performance. Stage Door Johnny is an off-script production. Thanks, Louise Berry, for exec producing. Thank you to ACAST for your support. Thanks particularly to my producer, Ben Backhouse, who is just a marvel. Thank you to the musicians. Thank you to Iggy Cake for writing and recording and playing the theme tune. And thanks to Phoebe Cake for singing it. And please join me next week. My guest will be another iconic actress who can change the weather. She was the first African-American woman to win the Tony Award for Best Actress, and this year, 2022, she won her second Tony Award. She is the extraordinary Felicia Richard. She's had an amazing career and an amazing life, and talking to her was just a huge, huge treat. And if you can, try to catch a performer this week who changes the temperature in the room when they come on stage. We all know it when we see it, and they don't have to be stars. They can be anyone who just compels our attention in that way that we all feel, and we can't take our eyes off. It's just a magical moment in the theatre. When we see and recognize that. Stage, stage, stage door
0: Johnny. Stage, stage, stage door Johnny. Not a line rhymes with Johnny. But here it is, stage door Johnny. Stage, stage, stage door Johnny. He sits in the balcony. Sees play sad and funny. That stage. Stage door Johnny, stage 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 door Johnny. He knows that there's no money. Theme stage stage.